welcome to the Learning Council EduJedi Report podcast. I'm Leilani Cawthon, your host and proud EduJedi Grandmaster. I'm also the CEO of the Learning Council News Media and Research Organization, and we've been doing a lot of research lately. And uh, we've found out a lot of new things are going on in the market, not that anyone didn't know this about what was going on in education, but we have with us today two illustrious guests, uh, Dr. Liz Brook, who is with Lexia Learning, and we have a lot to talk about with her. Um, she's their chief learning officer, so really savvy about what's going on in what they're doing for their product. And then also Michelle Eaton, who is the director of virtual and blended learning from the MSD of Wayne Township School District, and excited to hear from her today about what's been going on over there. Uh, so let's start out with that. Let's just go, hey, Michelle. Tell us what has been happening. The MSD of Wayne Township here in Indianapolis, uh, we are no different than districts all across the country in that it's been an interesting school year. We have temporarily been fully remote. We've had students fully in person. We have some of our students that are in a hybrid scenario right now. And then our virtual option for the year has been um, very popular with our community and some of our, our families. And so this year has really been about flexibility and doing what we can to ensure that learning keeps going for our students when with the uncertainty each week brings about where that learning is going to be taking place. Yeah, I, I totally understand how that is. So we're going to look at today, new digital personalized approaches to equity and Obviously, that's that's a big top of mind thing for most districts. So since you have gone through this now for a while, what are your thoughts on that personalizing approach and actually creating equity with all the mix of things that you're using? Well, I've, I've cared about personalized learning for a long time. It often goes hand in hand with blended learning. And I think that, you know, pre-COVID, when we were talking about blending our classrooms, that was one of the big benefits of, of leveraging online learning in even our traditional spaces to help maximize instructional time. Um, you're gonna be hard pressed to find teachers that don't believe in personalized learning. Um, it, it is certainly an equitable approach to education and meeting students where they are, um, have, helping students take control of uh, their own learning. All of that's great. And the problem comes up when we think about, you know, what, how do we actually manage that? What does that look like at scale? And blended learning, um, leveraging online learning has always been kind of that lever that allows us to be a teacher in small groups or in more individualized ways while also providing instruction um, asynchronously through um, through online learning. And so it's the thing that makes personalized learning even manageable. And through a pandemic, teaching in a pandemic where we've had to, even if you have students face-to-face -face in class 100%, we're socially distant. We're having to get students um, working together and collaborating and connecting in, in ways that are new to a lot of us. And, um, and, and many, many teachers, even in those scenarios where we have students fully in person are also responsible for keeping learning going for students that have to go home 
and quarantine. And so we have been essentially forced to innovate, to, um, to leverage online learning. And I think this skill set is um, really powerful in helping us to take that next step to effectively and efficiently um, personalize the experience and meet students where they are. So uh, what we're seeing is, I think, really promising for what classrooms, what learning looks like when we're running at full capacity again. Interesting, interesting. So there's a lot of different directions we could take what you just said. And and so we have a lot to talk about today. So I want to now go uh, to Dr. Liz Brooke and uh, find out kind of what your approach has been as a company, because, you know, you're hearing this issue of equity in, in a landscape where all time and space has shifted. What, what's happening on your side? Yes. So thank you. The, um, what Michelle just said, it's really important. Um, two things. One at Lexia, we've been doing, um, and thinking about blended learning and personalized learning, um, since the beginning of the company, which is over 30, 35 years ago, clearly in the pandemic, we had more folks. What we did as a company was we opened up unlimited access to our programs, to schools or districts, even if they had just one license, because we knew, like Michelle was saying, people had started to think about it. But really, how do you do that? And how do you do that in a pandemic where sometimes you're face to face, sometimes you're remote, and sometimes you're hybrid. So what we have focused on is trying to support educators in in learning how to leverage technology and blend that technology and the data that you're capturing from that technology with the teacher-led instruction. So we think about the computer-led instruction as that AI, right? The artificial intelligence, we're capturing every click of the mouse and tap of the iPad, but that's really all to leverage the HI, the human intelligence. And so really trying to empower educators of how do you personalize instruction? It's very hard to do when you have 30 students physically in front of you, but even harder when you're trying to capture that data when they're remote. And as Michelle was saying, balancing, keeping the online learning going while they're, some of them are are face-to-face. So our programs at Lexia have always been in this adaptive blended learning framework and model. And so we've just accelerated access to our educators. We've increased the training on how to use these tools and technologies. And the other biggest shift we made was to make our paper-based materials that had traditionally been in PDF format. We transferred those to be Google Slides and other more digital-friendly platforms so that teachers could deliver those lessons still face-to-face and and getting that student-teacher connection, but doing it via Zoom or, um, you know, Google Hangouts. Those are all interesting innovations. And on the product side, that's another deep well we could go into. I love talking about UI, UX, (laughs) you know, user interface, user experience. It's a super, super big deal. So so basically, I'm going to just go down this tangent for a second you know, the, the authentic experience of 
being digital is not necessarily a teacher uh, creating tons of their own Google Docs and then nesting them in various folders and then directing all the traffic and attention of students on where to find what thing, that can take a half an hour of any sort of block of time you might've had with the students, just finding, everyone finding the thing, even, even though you could link directly to it, a lot of times instructions are, you know, go, go here and find this. And, and so what, essentially what a professional grade software company is doing is creating a lesson sequence with embeddings of things like what you're talking about and doing some of the computer-based instruction that then refines the amount of human time that has to be dedicated to that tra that traffic pattern of attention, where you put your attention as a student. And, you know, there's a lot of other benefits, right? There's, you know, professional grade companies do, you know, pro grade graphics and, you know, they've, they've uh, matched to standards and, and, you know, a million other things. But that traffic alone is the real shift that's been occurring for the last year. And um, I just want to comment on that because what you just described is professional grade authentic. And that's a big difference from what a lot of schools are doing right now. They bought devices and then they told all their teachers, hey, go figure this out. You know, you, you know, there's the worldwide internet is all, everything's worldwide is wide open, go figure it out. You know, there's infinite knowledge out there, which is a little crazy in my mind. Right. So and we, yeah, I, I totally agree. One of the things, um, again, that we've focused on, and I think part of the reason we've been able to, to respond to the needs of the educators so well is that we've been doing this for years mm -hmm. and we have the research, the proven efficacy that this approach and our programs work pre-pandemic. And because of the blended model, it seamlessly can transition from remote to classroom or some version of hybrid. So that's another reason why I feel like we have had this experience pre-pandemic. So that's why we were able to um, kind of more seamlessly transition. But the the targeted, you, you hit on this piece, and I'm sure Michelle could give many examples like this, but when the teachers do have that precious time with their small groups or even one-on-one, -on -one, we want that time to be really targeted, time efficient, and personalized to that group of students. And so that's what our um, assess, we call it assessment without testing, capturing that data in the background is helping that teacher, you know, whether he or she is, um, you know, able to focus on the skills that they're going to be teaching in that lesson. We want to provide the group of students who are struggling on a particular skill. We provide a lesson to them that has some scaffolding and scripting in case they're not as familiar with how to teach that skill. So that to your point, they're not spending their precious time with logistics or finding materials. And, and in the end, it's not really giving that personalized approach. Exactly. And, and can you just give us a quick snapshot of the subjects and grades covered? 
Sure. So we cover in our two programs, Core 5 covers um, students of all abilities in pre-K to fifth grade. And then we have another program called Power Up that covers um, students who are struggling readers in sixth grade and above. So when we think about, you know, there's been a lot of talk around the science of reading and making sure that programs are based in that science of reading. We certainly are. Again, we have efficacy on our own programs. So we cover those foundational skills in core five, as well as advanced literacy skills. But then in Power Up, we're able to go back and identify some of those skill gaps for maybe an eighth grader who's really reading at third grade level are able to go down and fill in those gaps while also building their advanced literacy and higher order uh, reading skills. Okay, awesome. All right, so I want to come back to Michelle and, and just say, I know you, I know you spoke about the fact that you were, you know, partially ready or had already gotten a lot of things done, but I'm assuming that there's also been a dramatic culture shift to now look at some of these advanced professional grade software pieces like Lexia to push them into doing some of the work of a teacher. When a teacher has been used to having all the kids in front of them and they're roaming around and checking, even when kids were on machines, right? They were getting checked on and, and there was a dynamic there. Now there's a lot more asynchronous stuff going on and it's a culture shift. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. I was actually thinking about that as Liz was speaking. The thing that we have all been uh, been learning this year and had to be really intentional about is how do you prior what do you prioritize with limited live time with students? And regardless of the environment in which learning is happening this year, we've all experienced. Um, that prioritization, whether we're fully remote and home and I only have so much time in a Zoom room or a Google Meet, or whether I am in a hybrid scenario where I have my students in my classroom face-to-face -face two days a week. We've had to make intentional decisions about what we're going to do with the time we have live with students. Um, because regardless of, of where learning is happening, I've been doing, um, I've been an advocate for online learning well before it was online learning was cool. So, um, and even, you know, even if you're fully online for this to work well, it's so much dependent on um, the humans, the, the relationships. And, and so what I think we've seen, while we have a, a rich history of online and blended learning in our district and um, a, a lot of, technology rich experiences uh, pre-pandemic that were available for our students. I think the thing that's been really interesting to see are um, how teachers are maximizing that time that they have live with students and then leveraging the technology to do what technology does best. Um, I, I think pre-pandemic we've we've all heard or experienced those concerns about online learning um, the fear of the unknown, is this replacing teachers? Um, and, and we've all had a masterclass um, and, and online learning over the past year to see that for it to be done well, it, it certainly doesn't take any fewer teachers. Um, it's, I think there's an argument that online learning is, is so much even harder than um, face-to-face 
teaching. And so um, to, to take away that fear of, of technology being this thing that replaces us and more um, freeing us up to do the thing that only the human in the room can do, I think has been a really powerful shift in how we think about online learning and its place in classrooms moving forward. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm glad that you went there with that because that is what's happening with a lot of teachers. There's a fear factor. Um, Is this replacing me? And good leaders are getting in there and going, no, it's, it's, you're the teacher. You're the person who's supposed to unravel where a student doesn't understand something and is lost and figure that out with them. So you have the opportunity now to catch up every student. And we all know that, you know, for the last 150 years, the kids, you know, that typically were not ever raising their hands and were getting Fs and everything were kind of triaged out, you know, because the teacher would have this whole group in front of her or him and have this idea that they need to get the bulk of kids through, that if they overspent their time on the ones who weren't getting it, then it would sacrifice the majority. And, and that's just the truth nobody really wants to admit. But now, augmented by technology and uh, data coming back at you, like Liz was talking about, it's a whole different world. It's, it's a mad scramble sometimes. Um, but it's definitely the thing that's going to, ca- I think, cause way more overall achievement. It's just understanding what it does to your role as a teacher. Michelle? Um, yeah, I would definitely say that that I uh, agree with that. It's a when we start to leverage online learning, it's not a diminishing role of the teacher. It's a shift in the role of the teacher. And I think one of the one of the things that we have a lot to be hopeful for is um, that we're all we all have a deeper understanding of that than I think we did this time last year. And um, that'll be a powerful tool, a powerful understanding to take with us as we uh, move forward and, and hopefully soon find ourselves back in classrooms running at full capacity. Yeah, well, that'd be great. That'd be really great. Um, we yeah, also- I, oh, sorry. Can I just yeah, go, go ahead? ahead. Um, so I agree. And I want to, um, again, come back to what Michelle said about, you know, freeing the teacher, using technology to free the teacher Uh, using technology for what it does best um, and really freeing the teacher or empowering the teacher so that, again, that connection, that social connection, um, understanding things that can't be captured on a computer, right? Understanding the the background of the child, whether or not they came into school hungry that day. There's so many components that technology can't do but leveraging it to help with identifying some skill gaps, grouping some students together, and again, really empowering that HI, that human intelligence. And I think, um, again, having teachers experience that, seeing that it can, technology can be a helpful tool and that the teacher is still at the center 
of all learning, right? Teachers teach reading, not technology, um, is something that I think hopefully will be um, brought forward in this idea of how do we try to personalize instruction? Because Leilani, you mentioned, you know, core curriculums are traditionally taught um, to teach to the middle, right? Teach to the average. And so there was oftentimes students who were above average that were um, left out and those that were below average that were left out. And so I think one thing hopefully that can come out of this pandemic is that use of um, that blended approach and, and gathering more data to be able to personalize instruction for more students, not just those who fall out of the, the, the middle. Yeah, and I think that's a really powerful thing. I, th I, I think we're maybe underestimating how powerful that is for the future. It, it is a tremendous shift in, in practice and therefore outcome. Um, and I really like, Michelle, what you said earlier about uh, flexibility, because, and I, I want you to speak up about this too, because, because the numbers are showing off of our January 2020 survey that during the pandemic, 35% of kids weren't showing up. Now, when we looked under the hood at which districts were answering at that higher percentage, most of them were brand new, which means they were not very sophisticated in their construct of software routes. Um, so of course they were probably mostly doing Zoom meetings to replace the prior schedule. So, you know, six hours, seven hours a day on Zoom is just, it, it didn't work for most, most districts. And then the other thing that's happening right now is that 20% of kids don't want to come back to school. So even though a lot of campuses are going back on, right, they're going to have a physical attendance thing again, 20% of parents are saying we're not doing it. And some of those are with students who, you know, when they were physically in the classroom, never raised their hand, they were super quiet and shy. And now digitally, they're like all engaged and they're totally into it, you know, and they're like, wow, this kid is like really doing well in this particular type of environment. Yes, they still need a teacher. But, you know, they don't want to they don't want to physically be there or maybe not as much. So it's this flexibility thing, a, a fracturing of the map of how you execute learning that is really, you know, impacting administrations. So, Michelle, talk to me about what that's doing for your administration levels. Like, how are you dealing with all that? Do you mean um, engagement of students uh, showing up or moving forward are families that are going to um, select or, or want an option for virtual learning? I mean, really, the, I mean, really the logistics of it, you know, uh, because it's like, are these, who's going to teach the online section and who's going to do this and who's going to do that? And are you going to simulcast while teaching kids physically in front of you? This is, this is a little bit mind bending for your pacing calendar and your uh, construct of who's doing what for, for teacher planning. Right. Right. Uh, that's one area where I feel like we've been pretty fortunate. We've had a virtual school in our district um, for several years. Um, so thinking about providing those multiple pathways for students has been uh, top of mind for us for qu 
quite a long time, um, at least at the secondary level. So we've had multiple blended options where students um, have more flexibility in when they come in and, and moving through learning in a more self-paced way. We have a fully virtual high school where students from all over the state um, can take a full course load, um, graduate with the high school, but also we provide supplemental credits for um, schools and for students around the state. So with that experience, we're now looking at what does this look like expanding uh, moving forward? Now for our school district, we are a larger district, at least in Indiana. Um, in Texas, we're tiny. In Indiana, we're big. But um, with the, a district that our size, we are able to um, think about providing a you know, full-time staff. So when we are looking at expanding our virtual um, school offering down to kindergarten moving forward, uh, we are looking to hire full-time teachers for, for those roles. Um, for secondary, because of the number of courses that you would offer, we, uh, for the most part at the high school level, do that kind of on an adjunct um, basis. So a, a teacher might take on 30 more students, like an additional prep um, and, and teach asynchronously online. So for us, that's been the approach. I know working with and talking with um, school district leaders across the country, that's not always the case, especially for a lot of um, smaller school districts it may not be feasible or they may not have the, the student enrollment to warrant having a full-time first grade teacher. And so they are looking at more of a concurrent model, uh, which I think just as someone who uh, has cared about blended learning has been talking about it for a long time, I think the concurrent model is probably the hardest model of blended learning um, to do really well. And so um my kudos goes out to those teachers that are, are rocking it across the country right now, um, having to, to manage teaching students in person and um, at home at the same time. But I know that's a reality just financially. It's the only way that um, some schools are able to provide a virtual option, um, which is going to rely more heavily on, you know, that, that live uh, streaming kind of approach to online learning. Exactly. You know, so, so you, you guys have, have a little bit more of an advanced view than I think a lot of districts right now in the United States. And so you probably have a, a good pile of, of various softwares. Um, so I'm going to want you to comment on that, but I want to go over to Liz for a second and just talk about um, the arc of change once uh, Lexia comes in to a, you know, a district or a school you know, you start out probably someone was interested in this sort of advanced professional grade software and wants to bring it in uh, one or two teachers or a curriculum director at some level. Um, then what happens, right? Because now it's not just, you know, we've acquired this thing, this, this software that's super groovy. It's getting everyone on board um, and using it. Tell me about that. Yeah, so we've had a few different um, models where either it's potentially the K-2 um, initiative in the district or a special education initiative or one school. And typically what we do, we support all of our um, implementations, some 
if the customer purchases an implementation support package or others um, through our website and whatnot. But one of the biggest things we wanna make sure is that the school has thought through or the district has thought through who are we targeting with um, this program, Lexia? What does success look like for us? So we set that up in advance. We think about how are we gonna measure that? Do you have the right infrastructure, schedule, hardware, all of those things? How does it play with other things that are already on our plate? So there's so much that goes into it. I think you alluded to this earlier that it's not just buying the iPads or even, even buying some of these programs. It really is thinking about how it works with everything else that's um, already being used and making sure that you identify what does success look like, right? In this um, current pandemic, a lot of districts, it was access. They wanted to have different programs available, trying to get at that equity question. And so it was a matter of access. And if some students used it, that's great. Um, but that was their measure of success. Whereas um, non-pandemic times, um, it might be they want to see students move you know, a whole grade level or close the gap or things like that. So the ARC, once it's adopted or once it's purchased, um, we have a whole customer success team that works with the schools and districts to think about those questions. And then again, we have ongoing um, data coming through our data dashboard, which is my Lexia. And we really partner with the schools. It's not just here it is and then see you later. <laughs> um, and then typically what happens if it started with K2 or one school, they see the results and then they wanna expand it more um, typically district-wide or to the other grade levels. So that's kind of the, the model that we use, but we really see ourselves as partners um, to the schools and the districts thinking about all of those additional questions beyond just the program. Yeah, and that's really good. And and uh, I know there's a, a lot of places that aren't doing that, Liz, and it has an impact. Later they say, well, we bought 10,000 licenses and we only used five, so now we don't want you anymore. So th that follow-through is, is really important. But you touched on something else I want to bring Michelle in on, and that is, you know, access was is a lot of times a first thing. It's like, let's just buy 10,000 licenses so that we can – give every kid their login and they can just have at it on their own um, versus having some sort of a construct as, a, as leadership that um, onboards teachers into where this fits in lesson planning, um, not just as a remediation or remedial tool, but, but you know, slide it a little bit into core. Um, so Michelle, can you talk to me about that? about how you guys have, have done that kind of thing? Absolutely. Um, and, and I do think that's so critical. Um, the research is pretty clear about um, any sort of uh, technology tool or learning that's happening in a digital space, whether that's through an adaptive program or otherwise, um, that the learning that's happening digitally has to be deeply integrated with the learning that's happening in the physical space for it to be effective. Um, 
wrote about this in in my book uh, quite a bit about some of the the research that is there because I think we all in, the, in this room as as much as we are technology advocates and um, understand its role in the classroom you know any technology tool in and of itself is not going to radically change what learning looks like for our students without um, changes it that the people in the room make um, the changes to what learning looks like overall. And so I think, uh, I think Liz made a, a really good point. It's not just about, you know, adopting um, this platform and integrating it and getting all of the students using it. It's, it's really about ensuring that we have those conversations about what does this tool look like um, within our classroom, our classroom environment? What does learning look like? Um, in our classroom, because I, I think having a classroom where all the students are just sitting quietly working um, independently through, the, through this adaptive program is a much different experience than um, students, you know, leveraging this adaptive program um, to allow the teacher to get access to rich data to make artful instructional decisions in small groups, one-on-one, -on -one, um, in, in whole group and really leveraging that essentially to clone themselves as the educator in the room. Um, you're, you know, teaching and instruction no longer has to happen just from this one person. It can be um, happening simultaneously while you're providing small group instruction um, while also meeting students, you know, kind of, kind of where they are. So in our district, I know that that work is really important. Um, our, technology or e-learning team works really closely with our curriculum instruction and assessment team um, as we roll out any sort of uh, platform or program like this um, to classrooms we provide support for teachers. It's really rooted in um, those instructional practices and, and decisions that are made and, and not just solely this is how you use the tool. So um, it's kind of embedded in, in how we do things in our district um, because we certainly understand how important that is. Yeah, that's super awesome. Well, I, I know Learning Council, one time we were, uh, we had an event in Washington, D.C. when we got to be live and together, and there was a principal there who came and spoke during that event, uh, one one day event, and she had been hired for a primary school uh, to turn it around. The, their reading scores were horrid, and she was using advanced digital curriculum. I don't remember if it was Lexia or, or someone else, but I, I do know that she would go door to door. They had little windows in all the doors. And if she saw a teacher only lecturing, she would uh, motion them over to the door and basically say, hey, stop lecturing, get the kids on the programs and, and then go help individually um, kids who need it. And that was revolutionary. She turned the whole school around in a year. Um, so that, that it is a change in practice. I'm, I'm just saying, Michelle, it's definitely a change in practice for a lot of people, um, a lot of teachers, and they're not necessarily all used to it. It sounds to me like you guys are like, you got your groove on, <laughs> you know, you guys are like, we got this nailed, but I, I really honestly think that that's not true in the, in the bulk of, of schools right now. So I'm proud of you, Michelle. Yeah. And I, I want to jump in. I agree. It's um, sounds like Michelle, you and your district, again, I think that was true of, of some of the districts out there that were already well on their way on this path. 
Um, and I think just jumping off what you said, Leilani, and what Michelle said, that technology is just one part of the classroom. And so it allows the teacher, again, to have, you know, peer-to-peer -peer student interaction, independent work at their seat work. But again, using that data from the technology can help group students appropriately, help personalize or have them working on the appropriate level, mm -hmm. right? Instead of just having all the same um, resources um, for each student. Mm -hmm. So that, especially in the elementary school, that center time where there's um, teachers working at this, um, you know, table in the back of the room with a small skills group. There's students working independently at their seat with a peer. There's students working on the computer. There's students reading independently, maybe on the floor somewhere, right? So it's, it's this interactive, wonderful um, learning time and, and technology, you know, all the students shouldn't be just on the computer and the teacher shouldn't just be lecturing. It's that interactive, engaging um, reading block, which is so, so powerful. Yeah. And I've, I've, I've watched that actually. I took a film crew out to a, a school down in Los Angeles where that was occurring. And uh, the principal was taking us around and we walked into a classroom and he, and he kind of chuckled before he took, took us in there and said, this is going to seem like chaos. And uh, so we walked in and yeah, kids, some kids were over on beanbag chairs, literally, and doing something with their iPads, obviously together. And then a teacher was roaming and managing a, um, a table desk space in another part of the room. And then other kids were actually doing some physical block activity at another table. It did look like chaos, but the teacher was hawk-eyed, right? like watching and looking around at what everybody was doing, but, but not necessarily lecturing. I think there's obviously always going to be a need for some lecturing and running uh, whole groups as groups or small groups as groups, but it was an interesting thing to see. Um, so that's what I'm imagining is happening now all in a digital plane to a certain degree, um, which is, which is what the big change has really been, you know, maybe temporarily for um, schools that are coming back physically now, but Definitely, it's a different modality. So, Michelle, coming back to you before we wrap up here, um, what would be your advice to a new district sort of getting themselves involved with professional grade digital curriculum? What would you say to them? Wow, that's a, <laughs> that's a big question. I think, I think one of the most important things uh, when adopting any sort of uh, tool or platform is to keep in mind what the, the learning goals are and what those metrics are going to be. And then I, I also think once we really start integrating technology and it is such a significant part of the classroom experience, we have to step back and really reflect on, um, you know, what does what does high quality learning look like in this space? I think, um, and you kind of alluded to that when you were talking about that uh, classroom in LA, where you know the administrator warns you this is going to look like chaos. Because I think um, I, I think we can pretty easily get into a trap of confusing compliance with deep learning, and you could easily walk into a classroom where students are quietly 
engaged um, with the with the technology with um, on their iPads or on their Chromebooks and think, wow, like look at look at this great blended classroom. Uh, but we have to remember that even though we have all of this technology at our fingertips, uh, in and of itself, there is no device or no tool that is a silver bullet. And learning is social. It should continue to be social, whether we are in a digital space or in a physical space. Um, and and I would venture to say that a, I w- a classroom that is completely silent and devoid of those connections, um, even if we're really leveraging the technology in a significant way, is probably not what we should be looking for um, as far as as the ideal, the ideal classroom. And And I think we just have to have those conversations about, you know, what is learning to us, regardless of uh, whether we have technology or or not. What are those characteristics of a highly engaging? Michelle, you cut out there. Oh, at what point? Okay, can you, can you say that? Can you can you say that again? Because you cut out for a second. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll probably say it a little bit more concisely, which will be good. Because I'm starting to ramble. Uh, but basically, I think we need to even at an administrative level we need to be really deeply reflecting on what are the characteristics of a highly engaging, highly effective learning environment with technology. So that when we go into classrooms or working with teachers, that we are not confusing compliance and uh, quiet engagement with rich, deep learning. Um, And I think we have to remove some of that fear of just a little bit of organized chaos that in a highly personalized classroom or really leveraging technology um, in meaningful ways, that means often our students aren't gonna be doing the same thing at the same time. Um, And so really just thinking about making sure we understand what learning should look like in that space so that we can see when, we can see success and know know that we're viewing it when we are. Excellent, excellent comment. I totally agree with you. I think what we're trying to communicate here is that the new future is uh, to to show an analogy is, is is more like running the ball down the middle. You know, it's not all online because we all know that didn't work. Kids, kids for you know the online distance learning world of fifteen years ago, people forgot where they were. It was poor quality UI UX. Uh, they didn't show up. There was no human interaction. It didn't really work for a lot of kids, um, even adults in higher ed. It, it wasn't really working. And so now we swing back to like, okay, we really need humans, but you know, this other stuff is really efficient and groovy and it's given us dashboards. And so I think, I, I think really the, the correct anal- analogy is the finesse of running that ball down the middle. You know, how, how do you elevate the humanity in there and use best-in-class software so that you you really capture as much deep learning as possible. Because we do need humans. Humans are like the replacement for parents in the learning sphere. And they they have to be there, right? They, they have to sort of cause you to say, you know, I'm interested or I'm inspired or my teacher smiled at me today and I, I'm into it, you know? So I totally agree with you on that, Michelle. Okay, so Liz, let's uh, let's wrap up. What are your final comments? I mean, how, how do people get involved with Lexia? Because you know, they're going to want to know like how to reach out to you guys and find out how to get demo to and all that. 
Yeah, I just want to comment on on what Michelle um, was talking about there, as well as you, Leilani, at the end. Um, again, it really is that um, uh, magical blending of the that human intelligence and the artificial intelligence, and and it is a very social thing. Learning is a social thing, so I love. Michelle, what you said about identifying what learning looks like, and I would even say what it sounds like, because to your point, when you go into a classroom, noise does not equate to chaos or noise does not always equate to not learning, right? And just like we don't want teachers lecturing, we don't necessarily want quiet and we don't want desks in rows all the time, right? It's Someone talked about it's more like a Starbucks, but it's that social connection, that social emotional connection, as well as, again, leveraging the technology. So folks can find out about Lexia and connect through our website, um, which is just LexiaLearning.com. And um, we have, you know, representatives all across um, the country and even in some um, international places. But it really is, again, we're all about trying to help empower the educators by whether it's transitioning to making our, our teacher-led materials into digital resources. We even provided some non-screen activity ideas that are based in the science of reading because, again, we knew that all of this screen time was not healthy for our learners. So understanding that we wanna be a partner to schools. We're always learning from our, our partners, our educators, and really understanding how do we give the teachers the time um, and the data that they need to really target those skill gaps and help start closing some of this, this learning loss that we've seen during the COVID time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a big, that's a big hill we got to climb. That's more that we should have another conversation about that alone. All right. Well, thank you both. Thank you very much, Michelle. Proud of you and your district. And uh, thank you, Liz, for, for joining us today and sharing with us what's going on with you guys. You've been listening to the Learning Council EduJedi Report podcast. I'm your host, Leilani Cawthon, and I'll see you here next time for another report live from the front lines of the EduJedi battle in education. Thank you.